my beloved in Jesus Christ our Lord. I have a story, and I can vouch for its authenticity. I know the woman in the story. She's long gone home to the Lord. But it takes place about 70 years ago. 70 years ago, down by Auburn, up on the west side of the Auburn Valley, there's a tar paper shack before it was all built up like it is today. And there was no electricity. It was very much rustic country back in those days there. And this woman, her husband, they had five boys, five very active boys growing up in the wild country. Well, one day those boys were playing Indians, and they had their bows and arrows, and they were running around. And someone brought up the point that he was a better shot than anybody else. So they wanted to prove it. So they got the youngest brother to stand up against a tree and put an apple on his head. And they were going to shoot the apple off. Well, the boy that was boasting grabs his bow, strings the arrow, pulls it back, and lets go. And at the time he let go, the youngest boy was going up with his hands to adjust the apple. And the arrow went through his hand. Of course, the boy started crying and running into the house in the evening time for his mom. But her mom, his mom took one look, deduced that he wasn't bleeding out, and says, you just sit in that chair, I'm making the gravy. Anyone who's made chicken gravy out of his skillet with all the drippings knows it takes a great amount of attention to make a good gravy so it's not lumpy. I remember my mother showing that. She was very concerned and attentive by making her gravy. She didn't want to be distracted by a rambunctious boy who did something stupid. Perhaps in our own lives, we are allowing arrows to fly around us and we're allowing them to be distractions so that our spiritual life becomes lumpy, not very palatable maybe not even very flavorable. It happens so easily. A little thing here goes by, a little thing here goes by, and we're distracted, and then we've lost everything. We've lost our whole focus. I can't pray anymore. This Sunday is the Sunday before the exaltation of the cross. In our church, we celebrate the cross on many, many days. So yesterday was the Saturday before the exaltation of the cross. Today's the Sunday before the exaltation of the cross. The feast of the exaltation cross is on Tuesday. And then next weekend is the Saturday and Sunday after the exaltation of the cross. During the great fast, we have on the third Sunday the veneration of the cross. Shoot, on Wednesdays and Fridays, they're dedicated to the cross. Wednesdays to the cross and to the mother of God, and Friday to the cross. And if that's not enough, even during the weekday at the little hours, there's commemorations of the cross, one at the, ninth hour, at the sixth hour at, at 12 noon, 
which refers to Christ being nailed to the cross, and one at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock, which refers to Christ dying on the cross. On August 1st, we celebrated the procession of the cross. There's another day on the calendar year that's celebrating the appearance of the cross in the sky. We hang crosses on our wall. We hang crosses around our necks. We make the cross, sign of the cross, continually, time and time again, perhaps forgetting even what we're doing. When we make the sign of the cross, when we come in and venerate a cross, when we celebrate the feast of the cross, do we truly acknowledge and profess what it is we're we're speaking to? What did that cross bring about? Did it bring about forgiveness? Yes. Then are we living that life of forgiveness? Did it bring about mercy? Yes. Then are we living a life of mercy? Did it bring show compassion? Yes. Then we need to be showing the life of compassion. So whenever we're making the sign of the cross and we're professing the truth of what that cross stands for, and yet we find and we know in our hearts that we're holding something against our neighbor, then with every sign of the cross that you make, It's a condemnation against yourself and me. You see how easily can get caught up in all the distractions. We no longer even think about what we're doing. That every time I do this, I'm held accountable for what that represents. And ultimately, the cross is about self-sacrifice. It's not about you. And making me, you comfortable, me comfortable. Christ came to give you and I new life. He came to forgive us our sins and give us new life. And then he told us, but this requires something of you. And you must live it out as well. Your life must be one of self-sacrifice. That's your taking up the cross, my cross, and following after me. Are we allowing our days to be filled up with so many distractions, our gravies getting lumpy? There's a prayer in the Eucologion that can be said at a wedding, and it really speaks to the cross and this notion of self-sacrifice. So when I read it, don't think of just for if you're married. But think of it as if you have a relationship with another person, even if it's an acquaintance. Because acquaintances aren't insignificant. They are meant to be conveyors of God's grace and showing another the way to holiness. Dear so-and-so and so-and-so, you are about to enter into a union which is most sacred, and most serious. It is most sacred because it is established by God himself. Most serious because it will bind you for life in a relationship so close and so intimate that it will profoundly affect your whole future. This future with its hopes and disappointments, its successes and failures, its pleasures and pains, its joys and sorrows, is now hidden from your eyes. Yet you know that these 
elements are part of every life and should be expected in your own. And so, not knowing what is before you, you take each other for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health until death. Truly then, these words are most serious. It is a beautiful tribute to your undoubted faith in each other that recognizing their full import, you are nevertheless so willing and ready to pronounce them. And because these words involve such solemn obligations, it is most fitting that you rest in the security of your wedding life upon the great principle of self-sacrifice. And so, you begin your married life with a voluntary and complete surrender of your individual lives in the interest of that deeper and wider life which you are to have in common. Henceforth, you will belong entirely to each other. It will be one in mind, one in heart, one in afflictions, in affections. Whatever sacrifice you may hereafter be required to make for the preservation of this mutual life, always make it generously. Sacrifice is by nature difficult and irksome. Only love can make it easy, and perfect love can make it a joy. For our will to give is proportioned to our love, and when love is perfect, the sacrifice is complete. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that the Son so loved that he gave himself for our salvation. Greater love than this no man has, than he laid down his life for his friends. Christ allowed no distractions to get in his way, fulfilling his Father's plan. He didn't allow the arrows and the naysayers and all of those people stop him one iota, detour him on his path. He was absolutely committed. He was very focused in what he was doing. And in that self-sacrifice, he saved you and I. So as we go back out and begin our work week again in our lives, let us remember that as the arrows are flying by, we need to remain focused. We need to do those things that the church has called us to do without wavering, without fear, and without anxiety. That is of the devil. Christ came and said, I have conquered the world. Be brave. Do we believe he's our God? Then let's trust in his words. Let's work Attentively, and with attention and commitment to our own spiritual life. And then we too will be images of Him, able to be self-sacrificing for others, showing them the way to holiness, showing them to the path of the kingdom. He died for us. Let us prepare ourselves to the same for others.